Well, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22 this morning. Genesis chapter 22. That was a blessing to me. I, I enjoyed the worship this morning. Uh, thank you, Walker family, for coming and sharing with us. Well, John, you had to get you one of them guitars now. Bring it to bring it to Bonita Road. Want to see what your family can do? <laughs> Genesis chapter twenty-two. Now we're looking at a passage of scripture here in Genesis twenty-two that deals with the life of Abraham. And uh, at this point in scripture, Abraham is, has been through a lot throughout his life. I mean, uh, the scripture documents all throughout, starting in about uh, chapter eleven, documents very well the life of Abraham, and we can see through Scripture, through those passages, that, that Abraham has been through a lot. He's, he's lived a full life. He's uh, experienced a lot of trials, a lot of tests. God has tested him in several ways throughout his life. And, and through these tests, as you look at them, some of these tests Abraham didn't do too well on. He failed a lot of these tests, but in spite of that, he has grown in his faith. He is now on up in age, and, if, and through these trials and through these tests, he is now what I believe one of the greatest men, one of the greatest men of faith to ever walk upon the face of this earth. I believe that in this passage this morning, we're looking at the very pinnacle of, of, of the life of Abraham. Now this morning, I'm going to be preaching the message this morning about the testing of our faith. The testing of our faith. And before we read our, te- our text this morning, I would just like to say that a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. How do you know that something is real or that if you have the real thing, unless it can be tested? Here in just a few days on Friday morning, uh, me and a couple of other uh, people from our church, along with another guy, are heading to Honduras uh, for a mission trip. And we're going to get on a plane there in Monroe. And I got to thinking about, what if I got on a plane and I got on that plane and I got to sitting down and everything got settled in and, and, and the, the pilot come over the this loudspeaker and said, good morning, we'd like to welcome you to our flight. This morning we're going to be flying on a brand new Volkswagen jet, a prototype. It's never been tested. We don't even know if this thing's going to fly or not. Now that's not going to work for me because when my life is on the line, I want to be put in something that's been tested. I want to be, I want to be in something that's, that has been tried and true and been put to the test when my life is on the line. I believe we're all that way, right? We all like to have the comfort of knowing that we're dealing with something that has been tested. And frankly, folks, if you can't test it, you can't trust it. So how do we know this morning that we have the kind of faith that we need to have? How do we know that our faith is the real thing unless we allow God to test our faith as such as he did with Abraham? I heard a story of a lady who went to the hospital to uh, have, a, have an operation done on her. She was sitting there in the, in, in the uh, operation room. The nurses had already prepped her for her, her surgery, and the doctor comes in, and he's uh, beginning to tell her about the surgery that he's going to do on her. And he says, Ma'am, I can't help but notice you look a little nervous this morning. He said, she said, Sir, I really am very nervous. This is, my first, this is my first time. This is my first operation. The doctor said, Don't worry about it. I know exactly how you feel. It's mine too. Now, that doesn't give me a warm and fuzzy feeling. I want a doctor who's got my life in his hands to have been tested, to have been tried, to know that he is the real thing. So look, if you will, in Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Now I'm reading from the King James Version this morning, and you'll notice there that it says the word tempt. Now in the New King James Version, if you're reading that, you'll see that it says test. And I believe in this particular occasion 
that that is a very better translation because even though those words, those two words in this context mean the same thing, in our today's culture, we think, when we think about it and we hear the word tempt, we think about somebody doing something evil, don't we? But we know that that's not what it means here. So I'm going to read it like this. It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, it's talking about God said, Take thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him, talking about Isaac, therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now God, like I said, did not tempt Abraham to do something that was wrong. We know that God does not tempt any man with evil, right? And we can be thankful for that, because if God did tempt us with evil, there will be no man able to withstand that temptation. But the Bible very clearly tells us that God tempts no man with evil, neither does God himself be tempted. Neither can God himself be tempted. So we know that God isn't tempting Abraham to do something that is evil. Now we do know the devil will do that. The devil will tempt us in order to, in order to make us stumble, in order to make us fall. But God, on the other hand, he tests us to make us stand. He tests us in order to make us grow closer to him. He tests us to make our, our faith and our trust uh, in him be stronger than it ever was before. And he places us in these trials and these tests so that we can be strong and have that faith that we need to have. Now this story that we read this morning is a very incredible story. We see God come to Abraham and, we, and he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I, want to take you, I don't want you to take him to Mount Moriah. Now that mountain is very, very significant in this story because in Abraham's day it was called Mount Moriah, but in Jesus' day this is Mount Calvary. This is a picture of what we have as God has asked Abraham to take his only son and take him up on that mountain to be sacrificed. God sent his only son because he loved us so much. And this is a picture that we have of Jesus Christ strapping on the cross and carrying up this mountain to be crucified. So we have here a, a picture of what one day will be called Mount Calvary. And he told Abraham, there I want you to sacrifice your son. Now God has never before, and as far as we know, know ever again, has asked for a human sacrifice. God has never done that before. But we have here a foreshadow because the Bible says that the gospel was preached unto Abraham. Then Jesus even said that, that Abraham saw my day and he was glad. So Abraham knew full well what was happening here. And so verse 3 tells us that immediately... Immediately after he receives a word from God that immediately, there's no hesitation, nothing between verse 2 and verse 3, he, he, the next morning Abraham sets out. Now I thought about as I prepared this message, I thought about what Abraham must have felt like. I thought about what Abraham what must have been going through his mind as he's sitting around the campfire there with Isaac. And he's sitting there looking at his only son, the son that he loves. And now Abraham is, like I said, he's a very old man. He's probably approaching about 120 years old right now. Isaac is about 17 or 18, and he's looking at this son that he loves, and he remembers all the times they spent together. He even remembers how Isaac was born out of a miracle in his old age. He remembers the promises that God has given him about the future of Isaac and the future of many nations, how all nations will be blessed through his son. He thinks about all the good times. He thinks about the announcement that a man-child has been born. He thinks about all these things, and yet God has asked him to sacrifice his son, he thinks about when he held him in his arms as a little baby. Abraham loved this son. He thinks about what will he say now? How's he going to explain this to Isaac? What will he be thinking? What will he say when I bind him to that altar? What will his last words be? What will he see when he, pulls me, when he sees me pull that dagger 
out of my out and about to thrust it into his side what will he be thinking what will he say and I can't imagine being a father myself I can't imagine what must have been going through Abraham's mind as he's traveling up this mountain I want to give you a test of your faith this morning this morning we're going to have a little test and this test has four questions to it Four questions to it this morning. And we're going to see, let's find out this morning, if we have the kind of faith, if we have the faith that can be tested. So question number one is this. How deep is your devotion? How deep is your devotion? You see, faith is tested by the depth of of its devotion. So let me ask you a question. Why did God ask Abraham to take his one and only son, the son that he loved, the son that God had given to him, the son that, he, that God had promised to him, why did God ask Abraham to go up that mountain and sacrifice him? Why would God do that? I'll tell you why. Because God saw in Abraham that it was very likely that he was loving Isaac more than he loved God himself. God saw in Isaac the propensity for him to be able to love Isaac more than he loved God. He, he, he knew that, 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 that Abraham just might love the gift more than the giver. He loved the, the, the promise more than the one who gave the promise. And let me learn this about God. God will never willingly let anything take first place in your devotion other than God himself. God doesn't want a place in your life. God wants first place. God doesn't want prominence in your life. He wants preeminence in your life. God deserves and God desires to have first place, to have preeminence in our life. So here's the question this morning. Does God have preeminence in your life? Is God first place? Is God your first love? Do you love God more than everything in, in, this, in this world? See, the Bible says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So does God have preeminence in your life? You see, God has given us a lot of things. And a lot of times we end up loving the things that he has given us more than the one who gave it to us. That's what happened here with, with Abraham. And that's the reason God has asked him to sacrifice. See, some of us it may even have a ministry. And we love that ministry more than we love God himself. We have children. We have family that God has blessed us with. And we're thankful for that. But sometimes we put our family ahead of God. And we need to love God more than we love our family. You see, some of us will never serve where God wants us to serve because of that ministry and because of our families and because of those things. And we're not serving God the way that he wants us to serve him because we love those things that he has given us and we place them ahead of the God who has given us. So the question comes this morning, no matter what God has given you, no matter what God has done for you, do you love God? Do you love what God has given you and what God has done for you more than the God who gave it to you? I wouldn't ask you to ask yourself that if I hadn't already asked myself. And I've had to ask myself that several times through the preparation of this message. Is there anything in my life that I love more than God himself? Is there any goal? Is there any dream? Is there any ambition? Is there any hobby? Is there anything in my life, any family member, is there anything in my life that I love more than God himself? You see, it's not that God doesn't want us to love our sons. It's not that he didn't want Abraham to love Isaac. It's not that he doesn't want me to love my children. It's not that he doesn't want me to love my ministry. It's not that he doesn't want me to love my hobbies. It's just that he wants to have preeminence and have that first love, to have the love that is above all other things. Now, if you think, as you ask yourself that this morning, you think about that thing that you may have in your life that you've placed ahead of God, I want you to listen to God this morning. I want you to listen to the heart of God this morning. I believe you'll hear him say to take that thing 
Take that dream, take that goal, take that ambition, take that hobby, take that family member, take whatever it is in your life that you've placed ahead of God and take it to Mount Moriah and sacrifice it there. I believe that's what you'll hear, God. Now the question is this, do you have the faith to do that? Do you have the faith to take whatever it is that you have placed ahead of God and take it to Mount Moriah? But see, that's what faith, that's what faith is. See, faith is measured by the depth of its devotion. Secondly, here's the second question. Not only is faith measured by the depth of its devotion, the second question is how far will you go to obey God? How far will you go to obey God? On May the 29th at 11.30 a.m., 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary hoisted the British flag on Mount Everest. He had climbed Mount Everest. He had faced danger. He had faced disappointment. He had faced death. He had faced the raging elements. He had climbed up sheer walls of ice. He had known hunger of pain and fear, but he finally arrived at the pinnacle of Mount Everest over 29,000 feet tall as it towered towards the sky. As he planted that British flag there, he stood where no other human being had ever stood, and he climbed as high as a man could climb on this earth. But let me tell you something this morning. No man has ever spiritually climbed as high as Abraham climbed as he climbed Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son. He climbed as high spiritually as any man has ever climbed. Now let me tell you what faith is. We all know the definition of faith is found in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. That's what a lot of people, even in our churches today, that's what they're calling faith. They're saying, I've never seen God, but yet I believe in God, therefore I have faith, and therefore I must be going to heaven and have an eternal life there. Folks, that's not what biblical faith is. Simply believing in God will not get you to have an eternal life in heaven. That's not what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is not believing in something though you haven't seen it. That's mere superstition. What real faith is, is not believing in spite of evidence. It's faith is obeying in spite of consequence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequence. No matter what you think may happen, you're placing your life in God's hands and you have the faith to do what he says to do no matter what the consequences may be. You see, a faith is obedience in spite, in spite of consequences. And God said, go up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice your son there. And what did Abraham do? He gathered his son up and he went to Mount Moriah. You see, that's what faith is. No matter what the consequence was, he had the faith to do what God had told him. So what kind of obedience do we see here? What kind of obedience? Is this just kind of a blind obedience? No, this is an intelligent obedience. Abraham knew what God had asked him to do, and therefore he was intelligent about the matter. You see, we can't obey God until we first hear from God. We have to get a word from God before we, have, before we can obey God. And many Christians are endeavoring to do things, you know, and calling it faith that God doesn't want done. And they're calling that faith. That's not faith. That's not, that's not what faith is. That's, that's just presumption. In order for you to obey God, you must hear God. And in order for you to hear God, you've got to have a quiet time. You've got to have a time when you get alone with God and hear as He speaks. But not only intelligent, but intentional obedience. We've got to be intentional about obeying God. We don't obey God just by happenstance. We have to be intentional about it. We must know the will of God, but do we report for orders? When was the last time you got out on your knees and you said, God, what is your will for my life? I will do whatever you ask me to do. What is your will? I'm reporting for orders. What is your will for my life? You see, we're not excused from doing the will of God just because we don't know the will of God. Ignorance is no excuse for not doing God's will. It's not an excuse if we, don't, if we say that we don't know 
what God's will is. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So if you're a son of God, He will lead you. He will show you His will when you seek out and you report for, for orders. That is when God speaks, you're to obey. See, that's another thing that we see there. It's also immediate. Our obedience must be immediate. We see that already between verses 2 and 3. There's nothing there. That immediately, Abraham steps out to do what God has called him to do. You see, procrastination is only a form of disobedience. I heard the story about a young preacher who had just graduated from seminary. And uh, he come home one day and he was checking the mail and he had two letters from two different churches in the state of Florida. He opened up those letters and, and he began to read those letters and he found out that both of those churches pretty much thought the same thing. They both thought that it was God's will for him to become the pastor of their church. He said, I thought that was kind of funny to, to read that because there was no way that it was God's will for me to be the pastor of both of those churches. One of those churches had to be wrong. So he began to pray about it. And the more he prayed, prayed about it, he found out what he thought is that, neither, that both of them were wrong. It wasn't God's will for him to be the pastor of either one of those churches. So he wrote about a letter back to both of those churches telling them pretty much thanks but no thanks. Well, a few weeks later, he gets another letter. From one, of those, from one of those two churches, the smaller of the two churches, saying, we just truly believe that it's God's will that you come serve as our pastor, and we want you to continue to pray about it and do what God leads you to do. Well, after much more praying about it, he began to realize this was what God wanted him to do. So the next Sunday, he goes to his church, and he announces to his church that he was at during seminary, that he was going to be leaving and going to a church in Florida. He said he'd come up with something cute to say. That way they wouldn't hear, he wouldn't hear anything from the congregation. He said, a nail-scarred hand has pointed to Florida, and I must go. He said, how could they argue with that? So he goes home that day, and he's about to eat, and the phone rings. He picks up the phone, and it was a man from another pulpit committee from, the, from, one of the, uh, from the First Baptist Church in one of the largest cities in Florida, telling him that he believed that it was God's will for him to be the pastor of that church. And this big church and this, this fine church that, that was there, the man began to tell him about the staff, began to tell him about the large buildings, began to tell him about the ministry that was going on, began to tell him about all the nice things that, that were there at that church. He said he heard it as clearly as he's ever heard it, the Holy Spirit speaking to him and said, this is only a test. This is only a test. He said, I interrupted that man right in the middle of him speaking and said, sir, I've already have a place to go and it's settled. God has sent me to another place. He said as he went to that church, it doubled. And it doubled again. And it doubled again. And God blessed because of his obedience there in going to the church that God had called him to. You see, there's only one substitute for obedience. And that's disobedience. There's only one substitute for obedience, and it's disobedience. And I wish I could say that I've always operated in that realm, but I haven't. But I will say this. When I have operated in that realm of obedience and operated with the fact of knowing what God's will is and doing God's will, he is always blessed in that matter. Now let me tell you a third way that faith is tested. Not only by the depth of its devotion, not only by the height of its obedience, but it will also be tested by the price of its sacrifice. So the third question is this. How much will you sacrifice? How much will you sacrifice? Faith will sacrifice all to obey God. You see, if you have devotion and I have obedience, the length of the sacrifice will follow. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17. Hold your place there in Genesis. We're going to come back to that passage 
at the end of the, uh, the sermon this morning, but turn, turn with me to a, a Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17. And you'll find there in Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the hall of faith, where the writer of Hebrews writes about many people in the Old Testament who have lived lives and been through things where they showed exemplary faith, you know, and, and these type of things. And we're going to see here that this is the commentary here on, what, on the story that we've just read here in the book of Genesis, in verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, that is, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. I want you to notice there that it doesn't say that he was willing to offer up Isaac. It says he offered him up. And the reason the writer of Hebrews writes that because in Abraham's mind, from the time that he left, that, Abraham, that Isaac was as good as sacrificed. He was as good as gone. In his mind, it was already made up. In his heart and his mind, he had offered him up. It was in the past tense. So what was he offering when he offered up Isaac? What kind of sacrifice was he willing to make? And what kind of sacrifices are we willing to make to obey God? You look at several things that, that Abraham in this instance sacrificed. First of all, he sacrificed his family, literally. Literally, he sacrificed his family. But not only literally, but think about, uh, think about Isaac's mother. Think about how she had prayed for this child. Think about how old she was when she gave birth to this child. How was he going to explain this to her? But he didn't place his family ahead of the will of God. Think about his future. See, he sacrificed his future. God had promised that through Isaac's seed that many nations will be born and many nations will be blessed through Isaac, this was his future, but he didn't place his future ahead of God. You think about his friends. How many people would there be that didn't understand or wouldn't understand? How many times have we let our friends and what we thought somebody else might think keep us from doing God's will? I'm sure some of his friends say, Abraham, you've done wrong. You shouldn't have done that. You've done too much. God didn't ask you to do that. It makes no sense. Why would you do that? But because of his obedience and because of his faith in God, he sacrificed his family, his future, and his friends all to obey God. And that's what faith does. And if you're asked to obey God, it will travel to any length to obey him. It will, it will, pay, it will pay all costs and sacrifice in all ways. It is measured by the length of sacrifice, and it will pay any price. Now the fourth thing. Here's the fourth, fourth, faith, uh, fourth test of your faith. Remember, the Bible says that God is testing Abraham. And I said that if, we didn't, if, that, that if we're going to be able to trust it, it's got to be tested. If our faith can be trusted, it's got to be tested. So faith, the fourth test is faith is tested by the strength of its confidence. So the question is this, how strong is your confidence in God? How strong is your confidence in God? Now, I read the, verse, the first part of verse 17 there in Hebrews 11. I'm going to uh, continue reading there. In verse uh, 17 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he, had, uh, he, had, he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that an Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, how was he able to do that? How was Abraham able to do that? How could he do that? Look at, look at verse 19. The writer of Hebrews tells us what was in Abraham's mind. It says, Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. You see, Abraham was accounting. That's what it says. Abraham was an accounting. Now, that's a financial term. And if you know anything about banking, well, that's what that means. He was counting on God. 
He had a confidence in God. He was counting on God that if God asked me to sacrifice him, God who gave him to me can raise him up. And, and he had that kind of faith. And he said, if anything that, that, that God has given to me, I can trust it. And if God hasn't given it to me, I don't need it. And that's what Abraham was counting on. And if God has given it to me, I can trust it. Doesn't that make sense? That if God has given it to you, shouldn't you be able to trust him with it? Whatever God has given to us, can't we trust God? Can't we trust the one who has given us? Here was a miracle child. The child that was born in, in, in Sarah's 90s. Abraham was 100 years old. And God had performed that miracle. And he knew that if he could make a 90-year-old lady have a baby, that he could raise his son from the dead. He had that kind of confidence in God. Where is our confidence in God? Where, where is our confidence in God? How strong is our confidence in God? See, the reason he could offer him up is that he knew that God had given him. He knew that God had been given him. And anything God has given me, I can trust him with. Anything he's not given, what about the things that we think that we gain for ourselves? How tightly do we hold on to those things? Anything that he's not given, we don't need it. If God hasn't given it to us, we don't need it. So I tried to imagine what it would be like. As we see Abraham there with Isaac going up that mountain, and they spent three days together traveling up that mountain to sacrifice his son. How was he going to explain to Isaac? How is he going to explain to Isaac about all this? How is he going to explain to Isaac that I'm going to strap you on that altar? I'm going to bind you down, and I'm going to sacrifice. How was he going to do that? I believe he probably had a conversation with him that went something like this. said, Isaac, I want you to listen to your dad. I want you to listen to me. You remember how I told you that I made this covenant with God, this blood covenant with God? And God said, all that I am belongs to you. And I said, all that I am belongs to you. And because of that, I am a friend of God. And I have a covenant with God. And son, you know that you're a promised son. You know that you're a miracle child. I've told you about all the, the, the things that happened in order for you to be able to give birth in our old age. To order you to have, uh, to, for us to be able to, to give birth to you in our old age. I've told you about all that. You're a, you're a covenant son and you're a miracle child. But because of this covenant is the reason that you exist. And three days ago, you see, you don't belong to me. You really belong to God. I've given you back to God. And three days ago, God asked for you. God has asked for you and I have no recourse. I have no excuse because you don't belong to me because you belong to God. I'm going to give you back. You see, I believe that Isaac understood that. You see, at this time, Isaac's about 17 or 18 years old. Abraham's 120. Who do you think is going to win that fight? He could outrun him. He could out-wrestle him. But Isaac understood that. And just as Jesus willingly crawled upon that cross to die for our sins, Isaac willingly got upon that altar. And he allowed his dad to bind him there on that altar. On that altar. And Abraham takes the knife in his hand. And he draws it up and he is ready to take the life of his son. Now let's pick up the story back in Genesis 22 and verse 10. Genesis 22 and verse 10 gives us the rest of the way that this story unfolds. Verse 10 says, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angels of the Lord called upon him out of, the, out of heaven and said, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God. In other words, you passed the test. In other words, I've tested your faith and you have passed that test. You have not withheld your son, thine only son, from me. 
Verse 13 says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked behold him. Uh, looked behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. You see, there was a substitute there for Isaac. There was a substitute, and Isaac didn't have to die. I want you to listen to him this morning. Here's something else that I don't want you to miss. What God was saying to Abraham was this. Abraham, because you haven't withheld anything from me, I will not withhold anything from you. Because you've not withheld anything from me, I will not withhold anything from you. That's a pretty good deal. Think about all that God has. Think about all that God is and all that God owns. Think about all that. And if we willingly submit our lives to Him and give all that we have to Him, He will give all that to us. What a sweet deal Abraham got out of this. Now here's the next point. Listen, it's not, it's not Isaac. It wasn't Isaac that God wanted. It was Abraham. And we see that. It, was, it wasn't Abraham. It was Isaac that he wanted. This is the heart of the message this morning. If you love it, let it go. There's no doubt that Abraham loved his son Isaac, but he let it go. See, if we love it, let it go. And if it was meant for us to have it, if God gave it to us, and it was meant for us to have it, he'll give it back. If we love it, let it go. He will give it back if it's his will. Because, and if he doesn't give it back to you, you can thank him. You say, why can I thank him for having to give something up? Because you've given up something, and you've kept yourself from something that's worse than death, that has a loss of fellowship with God, and something in your life that is hindering your usefulness and your service to God. See, when we hold on to those things in our lives, we're hindering ourselves. We're hindering our fellowship, and we're impeding our usefulness for God. So if you love it, let it go. And if it's truly yours, God, give it back. One time a missionary came to a church on a Sunday morning to speak. And after the service was over with, he was standing at the back door and the people were coming out. And a man walked by him. He said, sir, I would give anything. I would give the world to have the happiness and the joy that you have. And that missionary said, that's exactly what it cost me. It cost me the world. This morning, are we willing to give up the world for Jesus? Are we willing to give it all to have the joy and to be able to serve God in the magnitude and in the places that he wants us to serve. I would give anything to be obedient to God. Abraham said, Lord, if you want it, you can have it. And God said, it's not really you that I want. It's not really Isaac that I want, it's you. It's you that I want. Look in verse 14. God reveals himself here in verse 14. It says, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Do you know what Jehovah Jireh means? A lot of y'all probably know that, right? God our provider. God our provider. Jehovah Jireh. God our provider. A lot of times we say Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. That word provision. We say that word kind of fast sometimes, provision. But you know what it really means? Provision. To be able to see ahead. See, we serve a God who can see ahead. That's how he provides for us, because he can see ahead. We have all this nearsightedness, and we think we know what we need, and God sees way ahead, and he sees what we need. And God asked Abraham to sacrifice your son. Go up Mount Moriah and sacrifice your son. Now, Abraham couldn't see on the other side of that mountain, but there was a ram starting up that other side. God provided that ram, and as he went up that, that in obedience to God, went up upon that mountain to sacrifice his son, God provided 
You see, God saw the need. God saw ahead of time. Jehovah Jireh knows the things that we don't know. And it's not our reason to know why. Our only reason is to know one thing. We must be obedient to God and have the faith that can be tested this morning. Let's bow in prayer this morning. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Father, I just pray right now, Father, if there's anything in my life that I love more than you, any hobby, any family member, any goal, any dream, any ambition, anything that I have in my life, Father, I'll give it to you. I, Father, pray, I, I pray that you take it from me, Lord. Take anything that I have that I love more than you in my life. Father, I pray that that be our prayer of every person here this morning, Father. If there's anything in our lives that we love more than you, Father, take it from our lives. Father, we lay our lives down before you this morning, Father, sacrificing anything that we have in our life, giving it all to you, Father, that we can love you, that we can serve you, and we can love to serve you. Father, if there's one here this morning who's lost, who's never come to know you as their personal Savior, Father, that this morning you will reveal to them through your Spirit their need for a personal Savior, Father. Father, if there's one here this morning who has been saved, but Father, they're backslidden. They've got idols in their life. They've got things in their life that, frankly, are more important to them than you. Father, I pray this morning that these altars will be a place where we can sacrifice those things as Abraham did there on Mount Moriah. We can sacrifice those things and give it all to you. Father, we love you and we thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.